She is a TV legend. Kathy Lee Gifford is here to talk about her life, faith, and an inspiring new biblical film project, The Way, in theaters for one night only, September 1st. The World Over begins right now. A warm welcome to all of you joining us in the United States and the world over. A terrific show for you tonight. If you have a comment, send me a tweet. I'm at Raymond Arroyo. Let's get to it. She is the four-time Emmy-winning former co-host of NBC's Today Show and became a household name as co-host of Live with Regis and Kathy Lee. She has directed an inspiring and ambitious new film, a musical experience, as she describes it, The Way. It's coming to theaters for one night only on Thursday, September 1st. She's also co-authored a companion book, The God of the Way, with Rabbi Jason Sobel. I sat down with her earlier this week at her home in Tennessee to discuss all of it. Here's my exclusive interview with Kathy Lee Gifford. Kathy Lee, first of all, Thank you for welcoming us into your beautiful home. Welcome, this is spectacular welcome. and Thank special. You. You're in my writing room. Hey, uh, I'm in the middle of the. This is where all the magic happens. And it was here four years ago where you write a song called The God Who Sees. Mm -hmm. How did that, which was really a very short little film, short song, yes. how did that give way to this new project, The Way? There is only one explanation for the whole thing it's just that the, the movement of the Holy Spirit. You know, um, the way is the word for the way. Basically, that's what the first Christians were called. They weren't called Christians. That's yeah. a that's a that's a, a, a Greek term. They were mm. called followers of the way. Mm. And uh, the first time anybody gave God Jehovah God a name in Scripture was Hagar in the Old Testament in Genesis, where she talks about, you know, you are the God who sees me. Huh. And so and that happened right here in the little town of Franklin, where I'm. I sat with the. The magnificent uh, Nicole uh, C. Mullen, and we wrote uh, what we thought would be a little three-minute song yeah. about Hagar. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it became something much different. It became huge a, hit. It, it really, it I I I paid for it out of the money that I'd made on the Rock the Road and the Rabbi. <laughs> I put a 65-piece orchestra with it. We went to Israel. I shot her there. I didn't know why. Huh. I didn't know why. I, and I gave it as a gift. I put it out on YouTube. I didn't sell it. I didn't make any money back from it. I just said, Lord, I'm just supposed to put this out there. And if you go on YouTube to this day, Raymond, and you just look at the comments at, afterwards, at, and after 10 million people or something have seen it all over the world, it'll say, it'll say comments from today. Hmm. I was going to kill myself, but I stumbled on this movie. Hmm. And, and, it, and I realized God loves me and I'm going to, I'm, or I, I played this for my mother last week. She was in hospice dying, and I played it for her. I put it in front of her, and she asked Jesus into her heart and then passed away. So there's stories like that. I knew immediately this is not of me and of Nicole C. Mullen. Mm -hmm. This is of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so from that, from the success of that little loaf of bread and a little mm -hmm. fish that we gave three and a half years ago, the Lord said, write three more write three more. So I wrote The God of the How and When with my, some dear friends, Brett James and uh, 
uh, uh, Sal Oliveri, my producer. And then I wrote uh, The God of His Word with my friend David Pomerantz. I always want to give people mm. credit. Nicole's in mine, God Who Sees. And then the third one is with the two of my favorite human beings on the planet, Lewis York, my friends Claude and uh, mm. and Chuck. And we wrote The God of the uh, the God of the Other Side. Other side and yeah. it ended up being a, a, a full-fledged motion picture. So you then, when you had these songs, did you say, I've got to turn this into an oratorio. It's got to live yeah. as one piece. I thought they had to live as individual pieces who could could live together, mm. could be taken apart for study. In music, you can only sing, people can sing a song about Abraham and Sarah, which we do. Yeah. But if you want to learn about Abraham and Sarah, you got to study. Mm. And so we have a companion book. There's the movie is called The Way. Mm -hmm. Companion book is called The God of the Way. And I want to get to that in a moment because it's interesting how they came about together. But let's back up a second. You, and I've known you for a while now, you have long thought Christians have lost their intellectual curiosity as and well as their curiosity. spiritual curiosity. Right. How does this project help cure that a little bit? I pray it does. That's what I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to do, trying to bring these epic stories in the Bible uh, to, uh, to life in a brand new way that's never been mm. seen before. I didn't know what I was doing, Raymond. Hmm. I did not know what I was doing, but the Holy Spirit did. And he guided. I'd never directed before, before wow. the God who sees. And now I'm just like, I, 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 it's my favorite thing in the whole world. I love having the control over every scene, every angle, every nuance. So I can control now every lyric, every note of the orchestrations, and and then the, the shooting of them as well. I've got nobody to blame but myself if it doesn't work. But the joy of the co-creating with Jehovah Elohim, the creator of all, mm. is about the most, that's about as, as fabulous as life gets for me. Why situate these biblical stories as a musical experience? Which is what this is. Yes. It's not a play. It's not uh, a lecture. It's not uh, straight music. But it's a musical experience. Well, music is my language since I was born. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad was a jazz saxophonist. My mom used to sing on the radio. I, music was my life, all my life. Mm. And so that's the language that I speak. Um, I, I bungle English, but I do pretty well with music. <laughs> you do pretty well with English, too. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I, I think it's a universal language because it, you don't have to understand the words. The, the music will take you, some, it will take you on a journey. The Way is an epic journey through time. From the dawn of creation to the building of a nation and the conquest of the promised land to the birth of the baby who would save the world from sin. Who was the way? Who was this light that dawned in the darkness? His name was Jesus, Yeshua, the long-awaited Messiah. And from the people he encountered, to the miracles he performed, Jesus forever transformed and redeemed the very world he came to die for.
the Bible comes to life with music and narration in ways you've never experienced before. The Way. You don't like a lot of Christian music. No, I don't. I've heard you call it even drag. Why? I like excellence. And not everything I do is excellent, but I strive for it. Mm. I don't like the kind of music where things don't, that, they, that they're just thrown together. Mm. It's sloppy. There's mm. sloppy mm. theology out there today. There's sloppy mm. music. Uh, I don't want to sing bad theology, uh, eight verses of it over and over and over mm. again. I don't want to sing the songs in the King James, uh, in the King's language. Yeah. Jesus didn't speak the King James English. And, and none of his disciples did. Mm -hmm. I want what was authentic to mm -hmm. Jesus and his, and his followers. I want to be a first century Christian. Mm. There's a line here that pops out at the top of this piece. And mm -hmm. I pulled it because it, as I watched it, to me, it's sort of the spine of the entire piece and what happens after. It goes, you breathed your life into each of them and you do it again and again. Yes. It's all the ruach. Where did that come from? What does that mean to you? Well, uh, no life exists on our in all of our solar system or anywhere in, in the cosmos unless God had breathed life into it. Mm -hmm. you, you can't read scripture without understanding how important the breath of God is on everything. Mm -hmm. And none of us can breathe without him breathing into us first. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're lost if we don't understand where even our breath comes from. This is why yeah. I love to study rabbinically, and I would encourage everybody. What does that mean to study? That means study what the original Greek and Hebrew mean in the, in the old. I like mm -hmm. to call it the old covenant mm -hmm. and the new covenant, in ah, yeah. not a testament. Uh, it, to me, that's that doesn't say it all. It's a covenant God made with with uh, Abraham, mm -hmm. and then a covenant Christ made with us on the cross, mm -hmm. and that's much more profound to me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, when you study that way, you also understand geopolitical context and you study what culturally was going on at the time. And the Bible explodes just exponentially where you kind of go, oh my gosh. There's a construction here that I, I have to say, when I first heard it, I thought, why, why put it that way? And it's the song, the God of the how and when. Why that framing? Way to put it. Why that framing? And this song was written First, right? It was written for a movie that uh -huh. I was producing with uh, Jennifer O'Neill. Well, uh huh. And uh, Brett James and I had written it as to be the theme song of the movie. Jimmy Allen came and, and did a great um, demo on it. Movie didn't get made. But then when I realized I wanted to do more of the oratorios, I went, wait mm. a minute. The God of the, the how and when is, is Abraham and Sarah. God's promises are true, His, his word is flawless. His promises mm. will come to pass. But how is up to him, when is up to him. Mm. And that's the hardest part about our faith, isn't it? Waiting, yeah. waiting on the God of the how and when. Mm. No, I, I, I loved that, uh, th that framing. It made sense as you go into it and you reflect on it. Mm -hmm. But at first it was like, the God of the how and when. Well, I like to say things in new ways. Yeah. Now, faithful God is, is another way of saying, the God of the how and when will bring about his faithful promises. Let me ask you something. This occurs to me. I just remembered this. A mutual friend of ours who I will not give up until later said she remembers being with Kathy Lee and Kathy Lee always had a notebook with her. And you write as ideas occur to you. Yes. Projects. Is that how you live? Yes, I do. It's called a, a writer's trunk. I didn't know it at the time. I've been doing it since I was a child.
Hmm. Just uh, things, I now understand the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but that's something you learn. That's something you cultivate. Mm -hmm. Songwriting is something that you should learn the, the craft of right. it and cultivate. I was raised on the great, great songs of the 30s and the 40s and because uh, my dad and, 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 I, and that's why when I, when I say something is direct, I don't mean to put down any particular person or song. I mean, in general, there's a, there's a sloppiness. Uh, there's a lack of craftsmanship right. in our world. It's hard to find people who mm -hmm. can do plastering right. anymore. The great workmanship in your, you know, it's just people want to get it done quickly. Yeah. I want to get it done well. Mm. And I want to do it in a way that will last long past me. Where, Long past me. Where did you shoot this spectacular <laughs> movie? I thought she's all over the Middle East. She's in the Judean desert. She's in the mountains. She look at this yes. movie. I mean, it has an epic grand scale. Visual. Oh, I'm so glad you think so because my biggest disappointment after we did the God Who Sees, I wanted to shoot everything in Israel. I'm a purist, uh -huh. and I love Israel. I wanted, and then COVID happened. Mm -hmm. So my incredible creative uh, designer. And uh, a brilliant man named Aaron Green said, Kathy, wait till you see what I found on the internet. Will you at least think about, contemplate going someplace closer that we can shoot during COVID? Mm. I, was, I was not a believer. And he started showing me these images and I went, where's that? And he goes, that's Utah. I went, what? I said, where's that? That's Texas. Mm. What? Where's that? That's, that's we shot in, in Israel, uh, Texas, Utah and uh, right here, we shot a, a, a modern day telling of the, of the um, prodigal son one mile from here, my friend's farm, oh my uh, with, uh, with um, uh, Jimmy Allen playing the prodigal. Tell me how you found your Moses in this piece, a man named Billy Gaines, and how you cast this whole thing. I pray about everything and then I just move, you know, I just say, show me Lord and then confirm. You know, uh -huh. don't let me get ahead of your spirit. So I was praying about Moses. I was, but that um, we had to shoot. You know, we had to shoot. And I said, "Okay, Lord." Moses was my tackle guy. Moses is a guy named Billy Gaines. He he hung almost every chandelier in my home when I first moved. Uh, he came over to start hanging things, and all I had was my piano, a, 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 a my baby grand piano, and a mattress. And he came over to hang things, and he was looking at my piano, looking at my piano. I said, "You like my piano?" He says, "Oh yes." Yes, ma'am. Everybody's down here. Uh -huh. Says yes, ma'am. I said, um, "Do you play?" He goes, "Yes, ma'am." I said, "Would you like to?" So he goes over and he sits and he played beautifully, beautifully. And I said, "Well, thank you for playing for me." Later during the day, I hear him singing in the different places. And I said, "Wait a minute, you're a singer too?" He goes, "Yes, ma'am." And I, I bet you write songs, don't you? He goes, "I, I do." I said, "Well, sit down and sing, sing something." He had lunch at my house. He had dinner at my house, and we became friends. And one day uh, he was here uh, hanging something else a couple of years later. And I was here with Moosh, my orchestrator for the new, a couple of new oratorios. And I said, hey, hey, Billy, I think you'd be great as Moses. You want to audition? He goes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so he became Moses. Wow. Yeah. And our Abraham and Sarah, I was praying about that. And I said, Lord, should I, should I try to get Amy Grant and Vince, Vince Gill, Gill, you know, yeah. just well-known people that yeah. just because I can't sell this thing myself. Yeah. And the Lord said, no, I want you to get uh, your, your, your publisher and his wife. And I went, my publisher is a great singer. I know that. But he hasn't been a professional singer in years. Hmm. And, and, and his wife was a professional singer, but because she was ill, had MS, 
She gave up. She was sort of, you know, wasn't yeah. involved with her career. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't know, and this is what's so amazing, they were battling infertility. Oh, wow. Battling infertility. They were in the, you know, that, that hellhole called IVF, and they couldn't have a baby. She was in her 40s, had MS. He had had some, some issues before. And um, so... They play Abraham and Sarah and... And three months after we come home from shooting, they call me and they go, we're pregnant. Amazing. And they had their little, their, their little Isaac. His name actually oh, is, well. is Jackson. I would say, how is, how is Isaac? <laughs> and they laugh. And he's one, over a year old now. And God, God is that God of how and when. God's promise to Abraham and Sarah to have a child is the same promise he made to them. Huh. Centuries, centuries and millennia later. The God of the, he does not change. Hmm. People do, trends do, politics do. Everything changes, but God is, is the God who never changes. Hmm. And we can, we can count on him. Tell me about the companion book. Yes. Okay, The God of, of the, the way. way. Tell me why you break the book down this way. And the movie is broken down in the Into same way. Into four parts. Into four parts. The God of the, of, of the other the side. The God who sees. The God of the word. Why break it up that way? Because God has given so many names in the Bible. Mm. This can end up being uh, 15 more yeah. oratorials because the God of... The God of forgiveness, the God of hope and glory, mm. the God of, uh, of uh, there's so many. Everything. God All of the, the harvest, actors, God of the God light, of the, God of all, God, everything. Why, yeah. And why can't we sing praises and find brand new songs to, to sing about it? Mm. And, and that's, uh, I'll tell you one last story because I know we're running out of time. The reason I knew I had to do this uh, is because I came home from Nashville one day. I was still doing the Today Show. And there's this woman, young woman, 28 years old, gorgeous, named Don Adorable. I gave her that name. <laughs> and she used to be behind the scenes. And Hoda and I brought her before the camera. She just mm. needed to be on camera. Mm. And she would watch me, though. And everything I did, she came. her parents are Persian, Iranian oh. parents. And, um, and she was not of a faith, you know, a, involved in any faith at all. She was a secular girl, yeah. had gorgeous. And I just adored her. One day I came home from Nashville and she goes, Kathy, every time you come home, either from Israel or Nashville, you're like, you're on fire. Huh. Can I hear, can I hear what you just did in Nashville? And I said, sure, honey. Brought her into my dressing room, put my headphones on her. And by now it was 11 and a half minutes long. It's not a three minute song she's going to listen to. Yeah. I said, it's an investment. It's 11 and a half minutes. <laughs> Is that okay? I said, yes. She's listening. She's listening to the story of Hagar and Ruth and David and Mary Magdalene. And all of a sudden, near the end, she's, <laughs> and by the end, she's sobbing her eyes out. And there's no visual done. I hadn't shot it yet. Wow. It was just the audio. And she takes off her, her headphones and she goes, Kathy, can you make it longer? Can you add more stories? I don't know these stories. Wow. And I went over to her, Raymond, and I took her in my arms. I said, you have no idea how God just used you in my life, sweetie. Mm. No idea. I'm supposed to do this for the rest of my life, bringing these stories to life, bringing them back to life in a way that people have never heard them before. Mm. Thank you. Mm. What's happening not only professionally for you, artistically through this project, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you just welcomed your first grandbaby. Yes. Tell me what that has been like, and does it change your perspective on what you're doing now 
and the way you're doing it. Mm, hadn't thought about that. First of all, everybody ta has told me for years and years, just wait. Just uh -huh. wait till you have a grandchild. It's going to change everything. And I go, it's mm, a baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it changes. It cha it's just joyful beyond. It's all with all capital letters. Hmm. He's magnificent. And I, to watch my son be a father of his own son. And they named him after Frank. Yeah. Which I, I, I was surprised because Cody, of all people, knew how hard it was to be, to live in the shadow of a man like Frank. Mm -hmm. He had two very famous parents. But yeah. Frank was in eight halls of fame. Yeah. And he said, Mom, it's okay. A generation has passed, and, and I want to honor my dad. Mm. So we call him Frankie, oh. or Mr. Flanks. <laughs> Mr. Flanks. And he's, he's everything a child uh, should be. And I keep every time I'm with him, I look at him, I go, if every baby was loved this way, we would not be, there would not be soup kitchens. Mm -mm. There would not be, you know, uh, the crime in the cities. There would mm -hmm. not be the addictions. People who grow up loved yeah. and valued and, and held and told how, how precious they are in God's sight. Don't go out and, and create chaos. Mm. They create um, new birth. They, mm -hmm. They're all resurrection, regeneration. Yeah. It's all the R's. It's just the <laughs> Satan's of the D's, destruction, yeah. degradation, dem demolition, yeah. all the D's. That's, every time you see that, think that's the, that's the work of the enemy. Mm. But the work of the Holy Spirit is all about refresh, renew, rejoice, re all the R's. Raymond. Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I think there's, you're going to have to re... You may want to re... Can we re edit that out? Yeah, just kidding. Yeah, you're going to have to question that R. <laughs> Tell me for a second, I read something from you, and, and I, I know we're tight on time, about cancel culture. You were just talking about the culture we live in. You are not a fan of cancel culture. Who is? It's taken us. But there's such a beautiful story. I thought, and I've heard it for years, Howard Stern has run you down for decades. 30 years. 30 years. <laughs> but, there's such, but who's counting? But there's such a spectacular story of how you finally address that. I don't, you don't have to tell the whole story, but to tell people the, the finale here. It's such a great, He came, think, he tale. showed up at my studio one day. Everybody tried to keep us apart. I saw him on the, the monitors. Oh. He was downstairs announcing something. And I said, uh, I'm going to go down. I've got up to get out of my makeup chair. And they go, where are you going? I'm going to go say hello to Howard. The Lord told me to get up and go say hello to Howard. And they go, ah! <laughs> they all freaked out. I go down, I go, Howard, he's 6'6", six, six. I'm 5'6", and I'm in my little flat shoes, and, I, and, and, and uh, it's a million people around. And I said, I, hi, it's Kathy Lee. I just thought I should say hello to you and welcome you and wish you all the best with your new show. Bye. And, and he's going, uh, 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 he's just, he did not do. know what to say. I, I left that day uh, to get on a plane to go to my son's graduation from USC Film School. And I landed and picked up my my phone with all my messages. Oh, Kathy Lee, it's, it's, it's Howard Stern. I, I need to talk to you. I'm in a, a million expletives. I'm real, I, I, I need to talk to you. I, I didn't have his number. It was a no caller ID. So yeah. I said, well, he'll call again, I guess. We were out to dinner that night, at, you know, in a beautiful hotel in, in Beverly Hills. And phone rings. And I go, okay, that's Howard. Oh, my husband and my son were not happy that I was picking up the phone. Mm. I said, too bad. I went into this room. <laughs> took the phone call and he asked, he, he asked me to forgive him for all that he had done. He said, I can't believe how kind you were to me today. How, how kind you were after everything I've said, I was wrong and I've been getting, and I, and it's only, I, I saved it for a year. Cause it was, I mean, there must've been a 
50 expletives to it. I'm so this for effing screwed up. I'm so effing this. I, but you've, but you've effing blown my mind and da, 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 da. And would you forgive me? And I said, I said to him that night, I said, Howard, I'm happy for you. You know, because forgiveness is one of the most important things in the world we all need to learn. Mm. And if you're reaching out to people you've hurt, asking for forgiveness, that is, you're on your way to actually finding joy in your life. Mm. And I'm happy for you. But I need you to know that I forgave you 30 years ago, and I've been praying for you ever since. Wow. He goes, what? I said, yep, I pray for you every day. And I said, because I knew that hurt people hurt people. The only reason you were lashing mm. out at me is because you had been hurt. Well, it's just what you said about your grandchild. If you're loved and you're cared for. You don't turn into a man mm. like Howard Stern, who's brilliant, but uses his gifts to mm. hurt people. And to, and, to, and to devalue and to destroy. Mm. And, and, and that's never what God intended for us to do. Mm. And I said, I, would you like to come to dinner? He goes, you didn't, I could come to, what? And, you know, and, and it never worked out that he did. Oh. I, I, left, I left after, you know. Oh, yeah. And he said, well, he didn't invite me to, to his home in the Hamptons, and I couldn't go. Huh. But it didn't matter. It changed everything. We didn't need to go and sup with one another. Yeah. We, had, we had a friendship now. Huh. And that was 30 years of, of the most vile, oh, yeah, vindictive, no. horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, you know what? Here's the thing I've learned. When you pray for someone, you pray out of obedience. I didn't want to forgive him for mm. the vile, horrible things. I never watched a show, heard, yeah. met him, anything. Yeah. But I heard. Everybody mm. tells me. Mm. They feel like they need to tell you. Yeah. And, and I, you know, you just, I just say, Lord, I'm going to do what you do. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Mm. He didn't know. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's lost and broken and he needs you. So Lord, and the minute you pray for somebody, you cannot hate them. Mm -hmm. You don't even hold it. You don't, it's yeah. just gone. It's like, well, let's go on to the next thing because you, oil can't live with water and hate can't live with love. Mm. And when you choose love, it's the greater choice. Mm. And, and it always wins. Love always wins. So this project is really just that. It is prayer. It is extending love. Is this a calling for you now? I mean, it seems these projects, there's a through line to these projects that yes. you're casting yourself in the midst of. It just, I never dreamed sitting down to write a little song about Hagar that it would become a motion picture, you know, uh, with all these different, with a cast of 30 people or whatever. And, mm. and you know, all these, if you, if you stay to watch the, the uh, credits on the movie, I hope you will. Each one of those people had a gift. Each one of those persons is made in the image of God. And each one of them, that, that whole thing could not be possible without the sum total of the individuals involved. Mm. And, and that's what God told me the other day, you know, a couple of months ago. And I don't know yet what to do with this information, but it blew me away. This is one of those things that you write down right away because you, you know it's not of you. And then I want you to keep loving them until you no longer recognize the person they once were. Hmm. And that killed me. Yeah. Because so much of our faith in, the, in, the, in this Western culture is getting them down the aisle, getting them saved, mm -hmm. getting them salvation. Mm -hmm. That's just the beginning of the great adventure. Mm -hmm. The great adventure is the work of the Holy Spirit and renewing our hearts and minds, mm -hmm. loving people till they are transformed creatures in Christ. Yeah. If the church did that, hello. And that's really what this project is about. It's about, that I say path. in the beginning, the path. In the beginning, when, when God created humankind, his great longing, once we fell in the garden, 
was to forever bring back humankind to the Father's house, Bet Av, mm. the Father's house. It was never his intention that we live in a chaotic, stress-filled, evil-filled world. He created, we were born in, in a garden. Mm. Mm. And we will end up in a garden. Uh, but in the meantime, we have to, he said, we have trouble. But he has gone to prepare a place for us. Mm. And, uh, and that's a garden. And that's why when we're in gardens, I have a little garden you walk through yep. before. Yeah. I, I just rejoice. That's where we're supposed to be. Mm. Some people can create their own little gardens in all kinds of different ways. I, I have a physical one out there. Mm. And it's tiny. It's not like my garden's in Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I used to have, I, I had this magnificent home. And then it became a mausoleum to me mm. without my husband there, without my children there. Mm -hmm. I had to move to this spacious place down here get surrounded by like-minded mm. people who believed like I believe, not cookie cutter believe, but mm -hmm. believed, you know, in, 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 in uh, Yeshua mm. and, 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 and build their life on him and his teachings and and church bells ring here on the, on the quarter hour. Mm -hmm. And you're reminded that, um, that the world is still a very beautiful place. Mm -hmm. There is hope because he is the God of the hope of glory. That might be my next one. Pretty good one. Kathy Lee, thank you. Oh, bless you. With you. Thank I you. love your work. You know that. You. Well, We're doing some stuff. Right back at you. Te a teaser. Uh, a big <laughs> old you, teaser. You'll know you. when you can know. The Way, directed by Kathy Lee Gifford, hits theaters nationwide for one special night, Thursday, September 1st. For more information, you can go to fathomevents.com. The God of the Way by Kathy Lee Gifford and Rabbi Jason Sobel is out August 30th in bookstores everywhere. And my new book, The Wise Men Who Found Christmas, is coming this October. I hope you will all come out and see me on the book tour. You can pre-order a signed copy of the book from Premier Editions. That's all at RaymondArroyo.com, the tour and where to order that signed edition. And, of course, the book is available from the EWTN catalog and wherever books are sold. Before we go, uh, Pope Francis creates new cardinals at a consistory on Saturday, August 27th. Once disgraced Cardinal Angelo Beshu, currently embroiled in the Vatican's financial scandal and trial, announced this week that Pope Francis reached out to him personally to invite him to participate in the consistory. According to Beshu, the Pope has promised to reinstate his rights and privileges as a cardinal. That ousted Archbishop in Puerto Rico, Daniel Fernandez Torres, could have used some of that mercy. Maybe he'll get it in the days ahead. Uh, then on Monday, August 29th, and Tuesday, August 30th, an extraordinary consistory will be held in which the College of Cardinals will discuss the Pope's new apostolic constitution of the Roman Curia, preach the gospel. Papal Posse member and editor-in-chief of the thing.org. Robert Royal will be there, so we'll bring you a full report on the proceedings on next week's show. And uh, former Archbishop of Milwaukee, Rembert Weekland, has died this week at 95 years old. Weekland uh, Benedictine held that position from 1977 to 2002. The late Archbishop was a well-known progressive cleric who advocated for the ordination of women and dissented from church teaching on sexual morality throughout his career. He was forced to resign as archbishop when it became known that 
he embezzled nearly half a million dollars from his archdiocese to pay hush money to a man with whom Weakland had a sexual relationship. A sad end. He's an Oscar-nominated actor, an Emmy winner, family man, musician, and philanthropist, working on behalf of our nation's fighting men and women. I spoke with him about his inspirational memoir, Grateful American, a journey from self to service. Here's my interview with Gary Sinise. Welcome back, Gary. Good Great to, to see you, as always. Thank you. And, and to see you on our, on, on our turf here. Why do you subtitle the book A Journey from Self to Service? Well, uh, I didn't know what the book was going to be called when I, when I started to write it. But as I started to pour through it, uh, you know, these recurring themes started to come out. Gratitude, appreciation, and I realized that this memoir kind of tracked uh, my life through the time where I was focused on this singular sort of acting thing mm -hmm. that I was doing and building a theater company and you know the things that were around my small world and that it evolved into this broader mission story mm. of, of service to others which I'm, I'm very much involved in now mm -hmm. uh, because of my foundation the Gary Sinise Foundation and everything so it really is that's that's exactly what the book is mm -hmm. I am a grateful American and it is a journey following uh, this this road from yeah. kind of a self-focus to a broader service focus. You open the book uh, and you title the, the prologue Stunned and it's it's about a, a seminal event that happened about 25 years ago that confirmed you in what's become your life's mission, your work. Tell me about that moment. Yeah, I wanted to start the book with something and, and then kind of go travel mm -hmm. back. So I yeah. started with a kind of a pivotal moment, uh, an important moment uh, that sort of really stunned me <laughs> yeah. in a way when I walked in to the Disabled American Veterans National Convention 25 years ago this yeah. summer and uh, they had seen Forrest Gump it had just come out about a month before and they'd mm -hmm. seen Lieutenant Dan and this is an organization that advocates for they might have two million members that are all wounded veterans and uh, they invited me to their national convention I walked in and I was so emotional to receive their acknowledgement. They wanted mm -hmm. to acknowledge me for playing a disabled veteran in what they consider to be a positive way. And, you know, 2,000 wounded veterans cheering you on, that, that was oh. very emotional. It, yeah. I never forgot it. You, you, you talk in the book also about your grandfather's service. You take us way back uh, in the book. And you had family who were veterans, your wife's family as well. Um, tell me a sense of how that laid the groundwork for this concern and heart you have for military men and women and their families? Well, it's funny. When I was a kid, um, my, you know, and my dad was in the Navy in, in uh, the early 50s, and I was, I was born in 55. He got out of the Navy in 55. I was born, uh, I was conceived here at Anacostia ah. uh, on the naval base there, and that's where my dad was stationed. He was working in the film lab uh, as a naval a photo mate, is what mm. they called him. And that's where he learned the film business. He moved. Uh, uh, my mom went back. She left. She was pregnant. She went back to Chicago, said, I'm going to have the baby there. Uh, he got out of the Navy about a week after I was born. Um, and then he went into the film business in Chicago, started working in the film business. His dad had served in World War I, and his mm. two older brothers served in World War II. 
So I've got this family on my side of the family of veterans, mm. but I never really talked to them too much about their yeah. service when I was a young kid. It was really when I met my wife and she introduced me to her brothers who had served in Vietnam, Vietnam in the yeah. U.S. Army. Her sister was in the Army. Her sister married a Vietnam veteran who was in the Army for 22 years, combat medic in Vietnam. They were the ones that uh, sort of you know, started to talk to me about military service and what it was like to be a Vietnam veteran, mm -hmm. serve in the jungles, and then come home mm -hmm. to a nation that uh, really didn't treat them very well. And they had to kind of recline into the shadows a bit. Um, I felt very badly for our Vietnam veterans. And so in the early 80s, I just started to do some things in Chicago to support them in different ways. And that sort of planted the seeds a little bit for what would happen in the 90s when I had the opportunity to, to audition for Forrest Gump and then play a Vietnam veteran. I very much wanted to do that because of the military veterans in my own family. Mm. And that led me to start working with our wounded and, and it's all, yeah. it all turned. There was a turning point. There's a chapter in the book called Turning Point, right. which is the September 11th attack. Mm -hmm. That was a real turning point for me, and I, I started moving into into the service work that I haven't stopped. Hmm. No, it really it arrested people who were not there at the time. Don't remember what that moment did to the entire country. I mean, it was a shock to the whole system of the country. No but question. to those who were uh, dealing, who had first responders in their family, or were in any way involved with the, the, the victims of, of 9/11 or uh, the New York scene, it became very real. The, the threat, the danger, and how fragile the freedom we took for granted was. I, I write about that in the book, the, the fear that I had after that, that event. I mean, it was terrifying, yeah. you know, to watch those buildings come down, watch people fall from those buildings, watch, you know, what was happening in the Pentagon and, and Shanksville and all the... And, and then, remember, uh, shortly after that, all of a sudden, anthrax is floating right. through the mail and everything. I mean, the, the, it was crazy. It was a yeah. very paranoid time. Everybody was on mm. edge. Yeah. And I was on edge, and my heart was broken. And I just, I just wanted to do something. And I remember, I think I told you this one time. Yeah. Uh, Friday after the Tuesday of September 11th was a national day of prayer. Mm. George Bush said, "Everybody, <clears throat> we need to do something together as a country." I want uh, Friday to be a national day of prayer. The churches were packed across the country. I went to our little church, little Catholic church, and there was no room to sit. I mean, I was standing against the wall with my family. Every space was filled. And I remember coming out of that feeling that, you know, I mean, it was, it was comforting, but I, I needed to do something beyond that. Mm. And I heard this calling, this thing, this message that came to me about service mm. and the healing power of service work. Mm. And uh, that made a lot of sense to me so i started raising my hand you know for the uso and you know what can i do for your military mm -hmm. charity can i come and raise money for you can i draw mm -hmm. some attention to you uh do some psas whatever it is uh play concerts for the troops yeah. and and it just started to go like this and there's a period in in that service history where you look at it and it's like i was gone every weekend doing wow. something and I was shooting a television show at the same time. Yeah. So it was a crazy period, but I really, I was getting so much out of making an impact by letting people know that I cared about them and I appreciated them. And, mm. 
and the war got worse, remember? There, right. there was a time where Walter Reed was just filled to the Act. gills with wounded, yeah. and they didn't know where to put them. There were so many. Hmm. And uh, during that period of time, I was going to the hospitals all the time, meeting a lot of the families of our wounded, meeting our wounded service members, trying to come up with some ideas uh, in, in ways to help them. Yeah. And, and so I started raising money. I started uh, getting into home building, where we would build specially adapted homes for Those our wounded. incredible. And it all ma manifested itself into the creation of the Gary Sneeze Foundation, which is toward the end of the book. Yeah. You see the service journey into this full-time nonprofit that is devoted to serve and honor the needs of our military men and women and, and first responders. Yeah, and yeah. we're getting great things done at the mm. Gary Sinise Foundation. No, I, I've seen it up close. I want to talk about it in a moment. I want to, you, go, you get into your career as well, and I, I want to back up a little bit. Uh, in high school, and this I didn't know, in high school, you were not exactly the straight arrow that people think you are today, Gary Sinise. <laughs> I mean, you were, you were doing pot, you were selling it, uh, a little scrape with the law after you signed on to be in, in West Side Story. What happened there? Where did this acting bug come from during that period? Well, I had a, I had a lot of trouble as a kid. I, I never learned um, properly, I don't think, how to read and write. <laughs> I mean, it just, I've, I've gotten better over the years. Yes, Obviously, you have. I, I yes, wrote you, a book. You've written a book now. My so. high school teacher is amazed. You know, this kid wrote a book. That's incredible. Um, you could put words together. You see that? They make sense. And when she first met me, I, uh, you know, I was just bumbling around. And, and um, you know, I was having trouble. We, my, I tell this story in the book where, where we moved from town to town a little yeah. bit. Right in those, in those years where you're, you know, you're developing a lot of friends and you're mm -hmm. making friends. And then all of a sudden we uprooted and moved and I had, to, I had to, you know, I was, had to make new friends. And that was, that was a struggle. Mm -hmm. I played in rock bands. I got into trouble with a lot of things that I write about a little yeah. bit in the book because, it, it, you know, I do hope that, uh, you know, somebody who might be going through a similar thing can see that there is light at the end of the tunnel and if you, you can turn yourself around. And I was lucky. I'm, you know, in, in some ways, I don't know. I happened to be standing in a hallway and this drama teacher walked down the hall uh, when I was a sophomore in high school and she told me to come and audition for West Side Story because I looked like a gang member and she thought I'd be good in the show. <laughs> and so I did. I went and auditioned and I got in the show. Hmm. And all of a sudden I discovered here's this aimless kid who's really, really troubled, having a lot of trouble adjusting. And all of a sudden I found this community of kids that I loved and I just loved doing the play and I wanted, that's all I wanted to do. So. Yeah. I, uh, I just auditioned for every play I could after that, oh. and it, you know, as soon as I got out of high school, I started a theater. I wanted to keep doing it. Well, not any theater. You start the Steppenwolf Theater Company, which is now this iconic uh, institution <clears throat> in, in Chicago. But we it's, were kids. Yeah, in the beginning, it's you yeah. and Laurie Metcalf and John Malkovich, um, yeah. <laughs> your pals, and you're doing these shows together. What was it like in those early years? I mean, you all were all learning at the same time, I imagine. Yeah, my, uh, in West Side Story. And your wife, Moira, who was also she a She was an early yeah. member, yeah, yeah, 1976. In West Side Story, uh, the guy was playing Tony, the lead. You know, I was one of the chorus guys. Yeah. I, was, I was a shark, you know. Pepe. <clears throat> yeah, Pepe the shark. <laughs> and the guy who was playing the lead was Jeff Perry. 
And Jeff and I became best best friends. And uh, he was very different than me. He was a guy who carried a, a million books around, and he had glasses, and <laughs> read Chekhov, and Stanislavski, and stuff. I didn't know what any of that was. And I was just a rock and roll kid, you know. Uh -huh. But we really connected, and we hit it off. And after high school, uh, I just wanted to keep doing plays, so I started this comp little company with some of the high school kids. And Jeff had gone off to college to Illinois State University, and I told him about this. And so for his summer break, he came up to do a play with this little community com mm -hmm. company, uh, a play called by Tom Stoppard called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead. And he had made very good friends with another guy at, at uh, ISU named Terry Kenny, who was another great actor. So he said, I'll bring Terry with me, and he'll be in it too. And so, <laughs> So Terry came up, and the three of us really bonded during that, that uh, experience. And we said, you know, when you guys get out of college, we're going to pick this up again and do something mm. with it. So a couple years later, they get out of college, and we find a space in the basement of a closed-down Catholic school. They, the, I, I went to the priest, and I said, can, you know, I'm a little kid. <laughs> can we have your basement and put on some plays? And he said, sure. And, you know, it was closed down. They weren't doing anything with us. He, he, he said he'd give it to us for a dollar a year, for wow. just a write-off. And so we built an 88-seat theater in this basement of a Catholic school in Highland Park, Illinois. And we recruited uh, six more people, and Lori Metcalf, Moira Harris, John Malkovich, Alan Wilder, H.E. Bacchus, and Nancy Evans. And we became the original nine members of Steppenwolf. And from there, it just... It just kept growing and growing and growing. Then we moved into the city of Chicago mm -hmm. and built our own building. And now we're about to break ground on another building. And, you know, it's 45 years old now, that, that theater. Unbelievable. Did you ever expect Lieutenant Dan to do what it's done? And why has it resonated in the way it has all these years later? I mean, generations mm -hmm. now. We're talking about multiple generations now that see you as Lieutenant Dan. And that gives you a certain credibility in addition to your work in the, in the veteran community. You know, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, can you... It, it's, it, you can think of a few movies that are constantly... You see them every right. year. They're always on television. It's, you know, it's a wonderful life yeah. on every year. Right. And new Wizard generations yeah. want, very, want it. There's very a few, few of them. Forrest Gump seems like it's on television all the time. Somebody is always texting me, hey, I'm watching Gump on TV right now. <laughs> and it seems like it's never quite left the consciousness in some way. Uh, so new generations of kids are seeing Forrest Gump. I'll go and play for these, concert, uh, these concerts on military bases. There'll be 5,000 people out there. Mm. They're all screaming Lieutenant Dan at me. And I, I'll ask them, you know, how many people here have seen Forrest Gump? And everybody cheers. And then I'll, then I'll say, is there anybody uh, over, you know, over 10 who hasn't seen that movie? And, and you know, it's very quiet. Nobody wow. People, do, I don't know if they're just embarrassed or what, but they, <laughs> it seems like everybody's seen the film. And so it's, it's always there. When I started going out for the troops, I hadn't, I hadn't had CSI New York yet. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't on television every week. And uh, mm -hmm. I, had done, I had done some movies, but I was still kind of that the guy, you know, mm -hmm. the guy who played this guy and the guy yeah. who played that guy. People didn't know my name, but they knew Lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan, Dan and they recognized me from that. And that's mm -hmm. why I named my band after the character. Yeah. Uh, I figured, well, if they don't know my name, they'll know Lieutenant They'll know Dan. Lieutenant Dan or they'll figure it out. And they have. Tell me, when I covered the Snowball Express this past Christmas, it blew me away. 
I have to tell you, it's not at all what I expected to see. I thought we'd have a bunch of kids having a good time at Disney World. But it really is, it's a therapeutic to moment. It. You, you tried <laughs> to explain it, but, but you have to experience <clears throat> it and see yeah. it. And um, what, what goes through your mind when you see these people discovering each other in their shared pain and in the pain that they alone understand, these families of veterans who've lost their lives? Um, and, and what do you say to them? Well, it's humbling, you know. It, it, I mean, it, it, in, it, and it's moving, and <clears throat> I just embrace them and let them know that I love them and that I care about them and that they're not alone. That's, that's the thing about this particular event. When yeah. we bring all the kids together mm -hmm. and the families, these are kids that, that live all over the country in little right. towns or wherever it is. They, mi they might be the only military family in that town, and they lost their mom or their dad in military mm -hmm. service and that child is going through something that not, none of the other kids are going through. Right. But when they come together with this event that we do every year for these children and they meet all these uh, over a thousand other kids that have all gone through this grieving of losing you know a mom or a dad in military service mm -hmm. they they really feel like they're in a community, like they're in a family, like mm -hmm. they're not alone, and they make lasting friendships. I mean, these kids give each mm -hmm. other their numbers, and then they go off to the little yeah. towns, and they stay in touch with they each do. other. And they meet and up the following year. Oh, it's a network of, of friends that are made. And every year, unfortunately, there are new kids. Mm. You know, there are new families that lose somebody, mm -hmm. and we bring them in. Uh, there are some kids that uh, have been coming for a while, and when they get to be 18, they sort of graduate. Yeah. And we make room for other kids. Because every year there's over a thousand kids that we do this with. This yeah. this year that you came was the first year that we've taken them to Disney World. Yeah. And it was the first year that it, the, the entire thing is part of the Gary Sinise Foundation. Mm. Uh, I've been doing it since 2007. It was its own organization for right. a while. And then when we made the deal with Di Disney, you we were going to have to raise some additional money. Mm -hmm. And we thought the best way to do that was to bring it under our umbrella. Mm. And we were able to raise the money. So that's just one of our initiatives at the Garrison yeah. East Foundation, just putting our hands on our Gold Star families and making sure that they know they're not alone. Yeah. It's, it's tough. You know, it's tough for them, and we want them to, to heal. I'm going to show people this little clip of video um, that your foundation released this week. It went viral. And it is people thanking you, being grateful for your work. Watch this. Thanks, Lieutenant Dan. I just want to thank you for everything that you do. You and your foundation helped me and my family recover from the devastating Tubbs fire. Not only me and my family, but also hundreds of other firefighters. Give me a reaction to that when you saw all those people thanking you. Well, first it was a shock because I was surprised surprised by it. My team kind of pulled yeah. a fast one on me and, and uh, they, they were sneaking around behind my back, <laughs> like getting everybody to send in videos yeah. and they were putting it all together and they, they, they had it perfectly planned for, to, to show it to me on the day that my book launched. Mm. And so we're on, on this book tour and you know, we're in the hotel room, we're about to leave to go do some more interviews and they you know, I'm like in a hurry yeah. and everything. They made me sit down. <laughs> we and need watch to watch it. this. Yeah, I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? So they made me watch it. And the first 
first one up is Jay Leno, and he starts talking to Gary. Hey, Gary. I'm like, what's this? And then, then Ron Howard comes on, and then another, and it keeps going on. And there are first responders there, and there are military folks from around the country and overseas, and, and there are Gold Star children, and, and some of our wounded uh, that we've done houses for. And it's, yeah. I, I'm thinking about it, and I, I get choked up just, yeah. just thinking about it because it, it, it was very, very touching and very moving and overwhelming. I mean, yeah, no, it was a beautiful. Just to experience. see that people did that for me. I mean, yeah. I'm a grateful American. There's yeah, well, and, and people are grateful <clears throat> for you. I mean, the response I saw on social media was unbelievable. I got to ask you this before I let you go, because you talk about it in the book. It seems as if, and you told me moments ago, this is really a calling from God for you. And that's how you see it, this work you're doing. I, I, I feel called to service for sure. Um, and and there, was, there were these key moments along mm -hmm. the way, you know. And I can, I, you know, I talk about that a little in, in the book, that that moment where our priest uh, on, on the Friday after September 11th attacks, everybody is just in so much pain, you know, yeah. people are just crying through every day, yep. you know, and recalling the images that we all saw on television mm -hmm. and the things that are happening. Everybody was fearful, and I remember the priest getting up, and the first thing he said was, this, this was a tough week, mm. and he was right on the money, mm -hmm. you know, everybody, it was a tough week for everybody. Yeah. It was a tough week for me, and, 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 and it continued to be tough. Mm -hmm. And I continued to be in pain. And uh, something I got out of that homily that day was that uh, service is a great healer. Mm. Serving others is a great healer, and we should all pull together to do something positive for somebody else to help them through this terrible time. Yeah. And having veterans in my family and having been involved with the DAV and the disabled veterans and everything, uh, and, and remembering what it was like for our Vietnam veterans to go off to war and then come back and not have services provided for them, not have the country embrace them and right. welcome them home. They, got it, they didn't even get a welcome home. And then seeing our deploying troops go to Afghanistan and Iraq and watching our nation start to divide itself yeah in whether they supported the war or not, I felt terrible for mm. our deploying service members. And I yep. knew that was where my calling was gonna be. Mm. I was gonna be called to do this service yep. work to help them through this difficult time of deploying to the war zone in reaction to September 11th. And once I started, the healing began mm. and I could see the impact I was making. And I just, I wanted to embrace every every family member, every person that was deploying, every first responder that I could. What's on the horizon for the foundation now? What's the next thing? The foundation is growing. Uh, we're, we're expanding our impact and our reach. Uh, I brought in some new team members that are helping uh, uh, lead the way. I mean, I'm, you know, I put my acting career on hold. Um, mm. The last thing I did was in December of 2016 so mm. it's over two years oh. that I've just poured myself into this work mm -hmm. and I think probably three I've only worked three and a half out of the uh, last eight years and that the the rest of the time has been 
focused on this mission of building this foundation mm -hmm. in hopes that we could create a lasting, reliable resource for the American people who want to support our defenders. If you go to GarySiniseFoundation.org, mm -hmm. you can learn a ton of things about the great programs we're, mm. we're, uh, we have at the foundation and the people that we're impacting. And you can learn from me as to why it's important to take care of our defenders. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for the book, Grateful American. You're a great American. Uh, from Self to Service, the new memoir by Gary Sinise. It's available everywhere at bookstores. And the Gary Sinise Foundation, of course, is at GarySiniseFoundation.org. Gary, thank you thank for being you. here. Again. Thank you, Mary. That is all the time we have for now. Be sure to catch us next week. Until then, we'll be scouting the world over for all that is seen and unseen. Be sure to tune in next week. On behalf of the staff and crew of EWTN News, thank you for watching. I'm Raymond Arroyo. Bye now.